0: All right, so what else has been going on? What else you got for me? What's been new and exciting since last time we talked on Tuesday? Anything? No? That's okay. I mean, it's okay if you don't have anything, but uh, I always want to make sure you guys do have, you know, something interesting to talk about, or I want to give you the opportunity to share if you do have something. All right. Well, we left off. We're in Chapter 1 and let's see there we go so I'm going to kind of recap kind of where we're at or what we've covered so far to kind of get us to where we left off so we started about talking about why we learn or why learn about the role of business society what are some things we talked about why it's important to learn about business anybody remember just give you a heads up so business is everywhere yes ma'am is that what you're gonna say Right, so you're either working in a business or you're gonna be, or everything in your life is somehow related to business. The phone you use, the shampoo you use, the soap you use, the water you use, I mean, you name it. Uh, The car you got to school on or whatever mode of transportation, the gas, I mean, everything, commerce, is what makes modern living possible. And so business is important, and it's important to shift that paradigm. What I mean by that is, It's easy for most of your life to look at the world in a consumer mentality. Oh, I have a job, I make money, I use that money to buy items or whatever I need. And you never think about the back end of that. Somebody is getting rich or making money off that commerce. And so when you start to realize, hey, I bought this iPad. Apple's got $100 billion in the bank. They're making tons of money off me buying this product. How can I shift that to where I'm selling something, either a a good or service, to also make money? And I can tell you right now, it's possible to become wealthy, if that's your goal, by working a job. You can get a job and save your money, live below your means, and do very well for yourself. But that is a hard, hard path to follow. It's much easier to do it if you're an entrepreneur and you have multiple streams of income one of the things I want to talk about this semester, uh, because it's very relevant, is personal finance and understanding how to kind of multiply your efforts. Understand how to save, how to invest. Uh, it's not investment advice per se. You don't you can ignore it, but it's just things I want to teach you about the power of things like compound interest over time. A lot of students don't know about that stuff, so I'm going to share that with you. So we talked about uh, profit versus loss. We talked about the definition of a business which business is defined as an activity that provides goods and services, goods and or services, to consumers for the purpose of making a profit. That's the goal. Profit motive is the reason why businesses uh, exist. We talked about profits versus losses. Once you bring in revenue, revenue is the collective total of all the money you bring in for selling those goods or services. Once you bring that in and once you have covered your bills, whatever expenses you have, that that number after that is gonna leave you with either a profit or loss. If you bring in $1,000 in revenue, you pay all your bills and you spend $1,100, well, you're operating at a net loss of 100 bucks. You're operating a loss. But if you pay all your bills, you paid $900 out, you got $100 left over, that's your profit. Yay, now you get to pay taxes on it. Excellent. (laughs) So uh, that's, in a very small nutshell, how that works. And so, um, smart businesses figure out what that last hundred dollars they made in profit. They try to figure out a way to minimize their tax exposure to that. And there's a bunch of legitimate ways you can do that. And that stuff we'll talk about over the course of the semester also. So, goods and services. These are defined as goods are tangible items. Something that we exchange our dollars for, you know. And we'll talk about money in this class too because that's a whole big conversation what is money, how does it work, that kind of stuff, how's it created, why does it have value. But, uh, so we we trade our dollars for goods, these are these tangible things. Services are consumable and intangible. If I go to an accountant, get them to do my taxes, you know, for the year, that is a service they're providing. You know, I mean, I'll get a document at the end of it that's a tangible asset, but the service they provide, calculating and, and creating that document, that's what I'm paying for. The output is, uh, is just a kind of a side effect of them actually doing that service. So we talked about uh, the role of business in society. A lot of different things that go into this. We talked about for-profit, non-profit. For-profit entities exist with the main motive of turning a profit. That's why they, they say, hey, we want to go into business. Our goal is to make money. You know, we want to sell goods and services so we can reap a profit. Uh, entrepreneurs are risk takers. And they go into business for that reason, a uh, profit motive, and the profit motive is a strong one. You know that's that's, um, and we want to encourage entrepreneurship in the United States. That's one reason why we have a flourishing economy. For the for the time being, I personally believe we've got a recession on the horizon, but we'll talk about that, and we maybe will experience it through this class. We'll see if it's part of it. Um, a nonprofit exists for what reason? serve the community, serve a social good. So it may be that uh, profits here we're here to make money, but it's nonprofits. You know, making money's not necessarily our primary motive. We want to serve a social uh, need, so whether it be feeding the hungry or providing uh, clean drinking water to a community or whether it be giving out books to kids to promote literacy or uh, providing medical services in times of uh, crisis or in times of disaster, Whatever it may be, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons uh, that a nonprofit could exist. You do have to apply to be a nonprofit. And uh, you can't just set up shop, hey I'm gonna be a nonprofit so I can pay little or no taxes because of a nonprofit entity. And so uh, the government has to classify you as a nonprofit based on what you're doing. The book offers some examples of what for profit corporations are. And we see the examples of Amazon, Disney, and Walmart. Obviously, they are in business to earn a profit for their owners. Owners are shareholders, people that own stock in the company. (laughs) And uh, once companies grow to such a size that they go public, they do that for a number of reasons, uh, primarily to raise money, to raise capital. But also, uh, it's, it's so big that they distribute the ownership across many different individuals and entities. A lot of companies buy stock in in these companies or funds buy stock in these companies. And so we also saw some examples of nonprofits like the Red Cross, Goodwill, American Cancer Society, whose primary purpose, once again, is to provide some public good. And so a couple other things we talked about. We talked about the four factors of production, entrepreneurship, capital, labor or human resources, and natural resources. So entrepreneurship, we said that this was a skill that can be developed It's somebody that has the desire to own a business or operate a business or a a profit or non-profit. They have ideas, they're creative, they're visionary, they have leadership skills, they're self-starters. They get up, keep going. They can take a beating and keep going. Let me tell you, business is brutal, it just is. Business is, is a lot like life, it's not fair. You can do everything right and still have a catastrophe in a business. I mean, I'll give you an example. You could do like, you could have business 365 days a year and that one day where you had just a massive issue, a customer got hurt or a product malfunctioned and it hurt one of your employees or something like that occurs where it's just a catastrophic thing that occurred to your business. And it just creates issues for months on end, if not years on end, could create lawsuits. I mean, there's just a lot that, that could happen as a result of business. That doesn't mean that you should avoid the risk because there's a lot of good things that could come from risk. Um, I've been involved in the startup of one, two, three, four, four businesses, I believe, maybe more. But uh, two of those were restaurants. One was a car dealership and one was an online business. And... The restaurant guy, one of them, a um, guy named Keith Naylor, anybody ever been to Oasis Oyster Bar in Clinton, North Carolina, spying Sandpiper? Anyway, he borrowed $1.5 million to open this place. He already had Sandpiper. This is a sustainable business, doing very well. Um, I say sustainable meaning that it's it's got a track record of doing well and performing well. We took a big risk opening this extra restaurant as a more, I guess, uh, elite's the wrong word, but uh, an upper end restaurant. And he went through several years where he did very well, and then he went through several years where it was just okay. And the stress, you know, you could talk to him and tell the stress was there. I mean, he's got, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars a month in obligation to, to run this business. And so you could tell the risk really weighed on him. But uh, and on top of that, you've got the liability. The customer could eat something, uh, could get sick through a foodborne illness, something could occur like that. and uh, but. Every day, you know, he keeps getting up and keeps uh, hustling. So, and I think on the whole, he's done very well, but I could tell that the the stress was weighing on him at a time. Um, Capital, remember, it talked about capital. I'm going to scroll down. See, capital is not necessarily uh, a resource, but it provides the means for resources. Before we get there, uh, just uh, those natural resources are things that we use to produce our end product, you know, the examples are land, trees, wind, water, and minerals. You know, if you're a jeweler, you need silver, gold, platinum, those types of natural resources, uh, the gemstones to produce your final products. The labor are those human capital things that we use to create those products. You've got to have people with skills. You know, if you've got a uh, car dealership, you've got to have people that know how to sell, people that know how to repair people that know how to be organized, do payroll, that type of stuff. So those human uh, resources or the labor resources are important. And here's where we got to capital. It says it's important to point out that money is not a resource. This is kind of a sticking point. I mean, I think most entrepreneurs will count capital as a resource, but technically you're just using that as a medium of exchange, you're using that cash to exchange it for the actual resources that you need. Because money in and of itself, you can't do anything with it. If you've got stacks of cash, that's great, but if your business is, like I said, jewelry, you need to go buy gold and silver and platinum and jewels to be able to make that stuff. So cash doesn't get it done. You know, it does get it done, but you still got to take an extra step to get those resources. And then lastly, we get to entrepreneurship, which is this special form of labor where you've got the skills that I mentioned previously, leadership, vision, the, the idea, the creativity, the uh, ability to self-start, get up and go. Entrepreneurs are special individuals. They are people that uh, don't necessarily seek permission. They don't wait for people to say, you can do this. Most people are trained to wait for permission. There's a book that I read read, and I recommend. It's called What to Do When It's Your Turn by Seth Godin. Great book. Has anybody ever heard of Seth Godin? I know most people don't read, but I try to promote reading in my classes. Uh, He wrote a book, What to Do When It's Your Turn. And the example of the book is that, you know when you're a kid, kindergarten, you're on the tick, the kickball team. Everybody remember playing kickball? You know, roll the ball, you kick it, and you run, kind of like baseball. You know, it's fun. Well, in this book, in this example, there's always two kids that get picked last, right? So they pick a team captain. There's a captain here, a captain there. And they start picking the kids they want to be on their team. And they always go for the biggest and the strongest athlete first, right? I want this guy. This guy's good. He runs fast. I want this girl. She, she can sprint like the wind. And so they're picking these people. And at the very end, they're picking the slowest kid, you know, it's like, and I'm pretty sure I was towards the end, you know, I wasn't picked first, that's okay. But the point of the book is that you shouldn't wait for people to validate you, you shouldn't wait for people to pick you. You should step up and say, hey, I'm not waiting, you know, I'm not going to wait for a publisher to tell me I can put my work out. Or i'm not waiting for permission to open a business i'm just gonna go by a stand and set up a shop and do the thing you know and i'm gonna market it there's a ton of free marketing opportunities online social media is tremendous for small business owners you can set up a facebook page a twitter account instagram for free instantly you can set up youtube and do 15 second spots put them out across all your places you can go and follow all the people that are in your in your industry and all their customers and let people know, hey, we're doing this. You can really work the system if you're committed and want to do it. So um, I think we left off right here, and this is where we get into the primary functional areas within a business. Key people and explain activities within each, and this is management, operations, marketing, accounting, and financing. So these are key areas within a business operation. And so finance led to accounting. Finance involves planning for obtaining and managing a company's funds. Finance managers plan for both short and long-term financing capital needs and analyze the impact that borrowing will have on financial well-being of the business. A company's finance department answers questions about how funds should be raised, loans versus stock, how long-term costs of borrowing funds, uh, and the implications, the financing decisions for the long-term health of the business. Yeah, and so there's always this dichotomy of hey you know we can we can take out a loan and we can be okay short term we can have plenty of cash but the pay the piper other side of the coin of that is if we have so much debt on our books eventually it will crush us because you know at some point we're going to be spending so much of our revenue to service that debt and it's going to be a weight on our business and so you can get away with it you know if you go as a personal example Let's say you get a bunch of credit card offers in the mail. You say, you know what? I'm feeling, feeling you know, like living on the edge a little bit. So I send in five applications for five credit cards. I get approved for all five of them. They give me a $5,000 limit on each. So twenty five dollars in credit I got right now. So I go out and max all these cards out. I go shopping, go on vacation, have a great time. But now you got to service that debt. And so that's going to weigh on your personal finances the way that a big loan would weigh on a business. And so you've got to be prudent and be practical in how you decide to take out loans when you're in a business. Every entrepreneur I talk to and I've read about tells people, advises people to avoid debt when and when, when, if ever possible. You may get to a point in company where you can't help but, but have debt, and that's okay if you get there, but most of the entrepreneurs I've talked to and the advice I've gotten is to save your money, get a second job if you need to, okay? Get a third job if you need to. Take that check that you get from that second or third job, open up a second checking account, and deposit all those funds 100% into that account. If you really want to be an entrepreneur, and if that's your goal, and if you save two or three years, and you've got a second job that's paying you eight to 10 grand a year, guess what? In three years, you'll have 24 to $30,000, which is a nice nest egg to start a business with. And so then if you lose, if you start a business and take a hit, didn't work out, you've only lost, that money that you put up yourself, you don't. You're not on the. You know. You're not on the obligation side of things with a loan, you know, because that's going to hit. That's going to hit you. So, finance managers look at those things and they determine uh, the overall health of the company and what they should do with regard to financing. Accountants are a little bit different. You know, accountants provide managers with information needed to make decisions about allocation of company resources. And they're responsible for accurately representing the financial transactions of a business to internal and external parties, government agencies, and owner and investing investors. So accountants are a little different. Financiers or uh, financial planners um, look at what we should do with our funds. Accountants say this is what we've done with our funds. So they're, they're responsible for translating that in a way that's transparent and accurate to both the internal managers and employees and to the external parties that need to know. If you're a publicly traded company, everybody in the world has the right to see your books because everybody in the world is a potential investor. You can get what's called a prospectus and identify the funds that are available uh, within that company and see, you know, what type of profit they're operating at, what type of loss they're operating at, where their expenses are going, Uh, understand um, just kind of the financial health of the company. You know, if I look at a prospectus to a company and, you know, some of these companies really there's a qualitative thing that you can't really get from the numbers. Meaning like if it's a company like Netflix, you know, Netflix has operated at a loss for a while. I mean, but they've got 100 million users. And so you look at this company's got all these users, all this revenue coming in. Uh, you have to kind of make a judgment call. Their stock price, I think, is in the low two hundred. It might be in the, the low 300s right now. I think that's where it's at. It's 300 and something. <laughs> so you look at their stock price. You look at the losses they're taking. You look at the investments they're making, though, in quality uh, programming. You look at their customer base and how much revenue they bring in. So you have to kind of make a judgment call. Does this company provide a valuable service that I think is going to be a, a viable thing for the near, for the near term? And you have to constantly reevaluate that. If you feel like there, th- something changes and they don't provide value, you probably need to sell your stock and move it to something that you think provides a better value propositions. Uh, the last part of this it says financial accountants are primarily responsible for the preparation of financial statements to help both uh, or entities inside and outside an organization assess the financial strength <coughs> of the company. Managerial accountants provide information regarding cost budgets, asset allocation and performance appraisal for internal use by management for the purpose of decision making. <coughs> so accountants have a big role at a company. They, they're, they're responsible for translating the, the language of numbers into a way that's approachable for management and outside parties. <coughs> then we get to marketing. So marketing is an interesting thing to talk about because it's, it's a black hole. You can spend unlimited resources on marketing and not move the needle with regard to customers. Marketing is a necessary evil, somebody once told me in business. Well, I say that is because you have to market because your competitors market, you know. You have to put out, you see ads for all types of companies, <clears throat> and you have to have some type of marketing exposure if you're gonna be in business in the market because nobody's gonna know about what you have to offer. You know? There's a guy on Twitter right now I see pretty often, and guess what he does for his marketing budget? He gives money away. To people on Twitter, and this guy's been doing it for a while, and he's got like half a million followers now. So he'll give away. He said, "I'll give away, you know, a thousand bucks to the next to, to somebody who retweets this and follows me." And I'm thinking, why is he giving away a thousand bucks to somebody? And he'll get like fifty thousand retweets, right? So he's just going there randomly picking somebody. Uh, the reason why he does that instead of, instead of spending a thousand dollars on an ad on Facebook or somewhere, he's going to put that thousand dollars in somebody's pocket. And people are going to go after it. You know, it's like playing the lotto. And so I'm not sure if that's genius or not. I mean, I think it's a little, I don't know. It's probably effective. You know, I shouldn't judge. I don't know exactly how effective that is. But it must be doing what the guy wants it to do because he keeps doing it. And so marketing consists of all that a company does to identify customers' needs and designs products and services that meet those needs. So that's what marketing is about, identifying the needs, and then doing what we can to meet those needs. I was in Myrtle Beach about two years ago, and I'm walking at, Bear, uh, was, was it a Barefoot Landing? No, it was uh, Broadway at the Beach. Walking at Broadway, anybody been to Broadway in Myrtle Beach? You been on there? There's a candy store in the middle, and there's a Build-A-Bear. Mm-hmm. So I'm, ba- I'm there by the candy store, and I'm approached by a guy. He says, hey, would you like $5 to answer two questions? I was like, no thanks. Because I felt like it was going to be, one of those, what do you call it? When you go and have to listen to a, a rental pitch for a timeshare? Timeshare, yeah. yeah, yeah. Time share, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not doing a timeshare. No, thanks. That's what I thought it was. But I go sit at the, be- the bench by Build a Bear and I'm sitting there watching what he's doing. So he's, he's prospecting, prospects are two of them, prospecting people, five bucks, two questions. And he'll say, can I, can I do this? You know? And some people say, yeah, sure. So they ask a question Have you heard of this club and how did you hear about it? And then they'll give them five bucks. But then they, before they give them five bucks, they said, would you well, like another five bucks to answer one more question? And they answer another question. It's something It's something very uh, benign. It's not a lot of work. You know, I don't remember what the third question was. But I remember the first two. But then they give them 10 bucks. And basically what it is, it's a marketing company that's doing uh, data collection and they're incentivizing people answering. The way you get paid to answer a survey on the internet so in some, Former fashion, they're just doing it manually like that. So, uh, the marketing function also includes promoting goods and services, determining how the goods and services will be delivered, and developing a pra- pricing strategy to capture market share while remaining competitive. Marketing is also responsible for building and overseeing a company's uh, internet presence, like the website, blog, social media campaigns. Today, social media marketing is one of the fastest growing sectors within the marketing function. In fact, If you don't have a social media plan, then I don't think you can have a serious marketing plan as a company. You've got to have a marketing strategy that involves social media. That's, I mean, back in the day, it used to be television, radio, and billboards. Today, social media better be front and center. And so operations, where where inputs, those factors of productions are converted into outputs. When the pickles come in the back door at Mount Olive Pickle, or the, I'm sorry, the cucumbers come in the back door, there's a process they go through of transforming that raw material into the output, the, cu- the, uh, the pickle. So, cucumber becomes the pickle. And there's a couple things they have to add to it there's spices they add, there's water, there's salt, all different kinds of things that they create the brine to create. They have the jars, those are raw materials as well. So, all, all these different things come together to create that jar of pickles. And that's how it's gonna, those outputs are converted into uh, those inputs are converted to outputs. Get a little tongue twi- tied today. So, all right. Operations uh, is the heart of a business, pumping out goods and services in a quantity and of a quality that meets the needs of customers. Yeah, you've probably heard that term, QA or quality assurance. These are individuals within an organization that go through and sample a product to make sure it meets the standards of what they're trying to uh, trying to deliver. And there's all kinds of testing they do on products depending on what it is. Um, for things like, I saw paint. They were testing paint to see you know, how it spreads evenly and how dense it is. There's all, kind, you know, all, there's all kinds of things they do to test. Um, you ever watch House Made, anybody? That show House Made is pretty cool. They show how products are made. They show, after they develop products, sometimes how they're tested to make sure they're meeting quality standards. So, operations managers oversee this area. Then we get to management. So the primary role of managers in business is to supervise other people's performance. All of these other things we've talked about—accounting, finance, um, operations, manage- and marketing—management oversees all that. They're making sure that everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, and that—that's that's an important role because you have to have some accountability to the shareholder, the person that owns part of the company. They want to make sure a manager's there is getting things done as efficiently as possible efficiency is important because when you're inefficient you're spending money you're spending money to make things uh or you're wasting money if somebody's working at the 70th percentile they're not they're not giving 100 effort that's 30 percent of waste in payroll that's 30 percent less in outputs that we're getting and so managers are constantly looking at ways to improve that efficiency to get more out of less so how can we make people perform better, how can we get more outputs, how can we reach more customers? All these questions uh, are things that managers constantly struggle with. Most management activities fall into the following categories, planning, organizing, controlling, and leading. I don't like the word controlling, but it's a part of the management text and I've been using it for years. I like guiding better, but planning is figuring out what we're gonna do. Organizing is, uh, once you figured out what you're gonna do, Organize is how you're gonna do it. Uh, Controlling is ensuring that it's being done the way you want it to be done or that it needs to be done correctly. And then leading is taking that and making adjustments if if it needs to be adjusted and leading people to make sure that uh, they're being as efficient as possible. So planning, organizing, controlling, and leading. Those are the four things that managers do most often to make sure people are doing things correctly. I'm going to move on just for time purposes, but this slide is in your Moodle chapter or Moodle shell. So internal and external stakeholders and relationship, stakeholder relationships within the business organization. So let's talk about stakeholders real quick. Um, stakeholders are people that are connected to a business for a variety of different reasons. It says a stakeholder is an individual or group that has a legitimate interest in a company, organization, or a business, right? So let's look at the base here in Goldsboro. You know, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, it's a big organization. A lot of stakeholders involved with that base. It's not just the military alone that depends on that base, you know, and the, and the soldiers that are there. Uh, all the restaurants around Goldsboro depend on that base being here. A lot of real estate depends on that base being here. A lot of other companies like Walmart and uh, all, just any commerce that's taking place in Goldsboro, has a interest in that base being here because there's thousands of soldiers that are located there, and those soldiers all receive paychecks, and those paychecks are translated into goods and services that they need for themselves. Those goods and services are provided by entrepreneurs in our community. And so the Stanford Research Institute defines stakeholder as those groups without whose support the organization would cease to exist. So, yeah, stakeholders are important. Stakeholders can affect or be affected by the actions or inactions of a business, and they can exist both within and outside of business. So, if Seymour Johnson Air Force Base said, you know, through congressional decision, we're going to close this base and move it somewhere else, what kind of impact do you think that would have on Goldsboro? It would be horrible, right? I mean, some businesses would lose, you know, 50% of the revenue. First week, it's closed. You know, some would lose... 80 percent of their revenue, because they have a heavy dependence on that population. And so, yeah, I mean, you look at uh, people that are heavily vested in Piggly Wiggly or Food Line. When a Walmart comes to town, Piggly Wiggly. I read when uh, there was a, I, I guess a Facebook post from the owner or the manager of the the Piggly Wiggly in Mount Olive and Faison. I don't know if it was owner or manager. But he said that once Walmart came to town, they lost over 20% of their revenue and never came back. And so, yeah, that's a big impact. And so all the stakeholders, the meat providers, the uh, anybody that provides uh, products to that grocery store or depends on that grocery store as a means uh, to, to help them live, yeah, that's an impact. So internal stakeholders, the people that work there, are employees, the manager, and the owners. These are people that are right there connected primarily to that organization. So groups or people who work directly within the business, those are internal stakeholders. The external stakeholders are a bunch of other people. It's hard to see, but you've got suppliers, society, governments, and I can't read that, sorry, shareholders, and customers. Um, it might be creditors, yeah, creditors, that's what it is. So these are external groups that are connected to that organization, maybe not directly, so if Piggly Wiggly goes and gets a loan from a bank, that's a stakeholder. They don't directly own or work with the company, uh, but the indirectly they're benefiting uh, from that company's existence because they've, they've got a bank that's drawing interest, or a note that's drawing interest from that company. So, a couple last things here. So let's talk about the external forces that affect a business. Give me examples of how various, or give examples how various forces affect the participants in a business and its functional areas. So these are the things that cause uh, impacts to business. Econ- the economy or economic. So you can have a great business, but the, the economy goes south for various reasons, you know, that's gonna have an impact on your business. You know, there's a large group of businesses that are in the discretionary income sector. Like if you've got a, a, uh, a Pinterest store or a, what's another one of those, it's like uh, it's, what's it called Etsy? Yeah, if you got a Pinterest or an Etsy store, or you sell things on eBay. Most of the time, people buying like home crafted or handcrafted items, whatever they may be, that's discretionary spending. You know, people that have to spend, they spend on housing, food, that type of stuff. But when it comes to discretionary spending, when the economy gets rough, people trim their discretionary spending. You know, they're still going to eat. You know, they may not go out to eat as much, but they're still going to eat and they're still going to pay their rent, hopefully. But other things get devastated, you know, quickly or first. And so you may be impacted by a bad economic turn. After decades of growth and dominance, the U.S. economy is now challenged by developing economies of other nations, which are jockeying to be number one. Since the financial crisis of 2008, which we will talk about a lot in here because that's the most serious economic uh, impact in my lifetime and yours too, The U.S. economy and businesses have struggled to recover from the greatest economic crisis since the Great Depression. We have made progress in areas such as housing industry, maintaining low and affordable interest rates and providing incentives for businesses to open and expand. Such economic events have had a direct impact on business regardless of size. So another thing that challenges business or can impact business is legal. If the laws shift, that's the impact on business. You know, Um, when they had prohibition, Right. If you were selling alcohol and then they said, well, we're going to make alcohol illegal, yeah, that's not going to work out too well for you, right? Uh, Bitcoin, anybody heard of Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Bitcoin at one point was very taboo. It still is a little unknown, but some countries are debating, you know, should we make this legal or illegal or what do we do with it? How do we regulate it? And so things like that, like I see now we have CBD oil uh, locally. You can get it. Um, That, it was a taboo thing, I'm sure, and now, like, I guess it's legal in North Carolina to have that. Some states you can get uh, marijuana products, you know, and so uh, the legality of things is a major weight on how we uh, are able to do commerce. And so, um, you know, you have to be aware of the legal environment. Uh, Even things that are legal sometimes have limitations. You know, you can't do so much, you can't purchase so much of a certain product. Now that we have alcohol, you can't just go into an ABC store and buy it out. There's limits to what you can buy within a certain period of time. Uh, and so, uh, reason being, laws are designed to protect consumers. That's the premise of it. We'll talk more about that in business law if you ever take that class with me, but uh, there's a bunch of stakeholders that, that come into play there. So some example, uh, the environment is the most complex, and poli- uh, the legal environment is the most complex and potentially dangerous external factor in business. Uh, the business face. So some examples, Tide, Volkswagen, and Tylenol. Cultural examples, it says legalization of marijuana, legalization of same-sex marriage, or strengthening of privacy laws, has an enormous impact on the way companies do business, on everything from what companies sell to how their products are manufactured, labeled, and marketed. And so, yeah, legal is a tremendous thing that, this is the reason why companies spend so much money on lobbyists. Right now we have a debate about gun laws, right? So it's legal to buy an AR-15 right now. May not be legal in the future, we don't know. It may still, may still be legal, but that will impact business. So competitive has intensified with the development of new technologies, open to foreign markets and rise of consumer expectations. So competition is very much an external factor that weighs on companies. Now let me wrap up here, just a few more. Technological, rethinking digital technology is something businesses must do every day. Quick example on this, Walmart used to do reorders, all grocery stores used to do reorders through a manual order book. This is a book they walk around and ordered, they place an order with. Now it's done through point of sale technology. Once an item is scanned, it automatically is reorders. Uh, Societal or social, as our country changes, as society changes, We change our buying patterns. We change what we value. Used to be that buying a huge house was like the American dream, right? Go buy a big house on a a hill. Some people still want that. But I think society has shifted. And now it's like, you don't really need a big house. You know, I see more and more people going to small houses that are cheaper, more affordable, easy to maintain. Uh, And so that's a big shift in the way we've done things. And I see that being a continued shift. But also, let's say that tomorrow we say, you know what? We just don't like soda anymore. You know, Americans drink a ton of soda. We're just not going to do it, and that would be a big shift in our society and how we do things. Could be. So societal changes have a big impact on business. And then global, what people do around the world has a big change. Um, You've probably heard that term, globalization. We're going to get into a lot of that in this class. But globalization has has had a big impact on American workers. And it has had a big impact on our economy. It used to be that we produced a ton of stuff. And we still produce some things, but a lot of things we've outsourced. And so now that has led our workers to being more service providers and white collar. Uh, meaning that, you know, whether it be, you know, doctors, lawyers, that type of stuff, or people that provide some type of service. And so globalization, we'll get into a lot of that and talk about how it's been, it has impacted us. All right. That wraps up chapter one. Let me talk about homework real quick before you leave. There are two parts to it. Um, Pull this up real quick. I think um, in Moodle it'll pop up. Yes. All right. So when you go into your Moodle course shell, I've got a bunch of different shells. Uh, Let it open up. I don't know why the computer's being so slow today. It wouldn't allow me to. There it goes. So when you go into your Moodle shell for this course, some of you probably know this, but I'm just showing you. You'll go over to uh, Chapter Mm 1. And from here, the Prezi presentation we just went over is right here, if you guys need some additional notes on that. But also, Chapter 1 assignments for Reese's Treats and note-taking assignments, those are due tomorrow night. So make sure I'll go ahead and work on those tonight, get as much done as possible, try to turn them in tonight or tomorrow. Um, I'll be grading these on Saturday and Sunday, so go ahead and try to get them in today or tomorrow. You can see that four of you have already turned them in. That's awesome. But if you have any questions, let me know. But I do require them to be turned in inside of Moodle. Please turn them in as a Word document or a PDF, okay? Questions, comments, ideas? All right, guys, thank you for your attention. I'll see you next Tuesday, okay? Have a good weekend. Be safe.